The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said, The sheep that belong to me listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never be lost and no one will ever steal them from me. The Father who gave them to me is greater than anyone and no one can steal from the Father. The Father and I are one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Jesus Christ. Friends, if you'd indulge me for a moment, I want you to look at your hands. Just hold them in front of you and look at them, the front, the back, and study them for just a moment. Get a sense of the size and the shape of them, a sense of the weight and the strength of your hands. See the many, perhaps, creases and blemishes and scars and calluses that have formed over the years. It's taken a long time for our hands to become the way they are because our hands tell a story, don't they? They tell where we've been and they tell what we've occupied ourselves with. They also tell us sometimes the things we've had to brave. Maybe there are lines that we're well familiar with, we've known for as long as we can remember, but maybe there are marks there that we're only noticing in this very moment. Because none of us knows our journey perfectly or absolutely. Uh, The contours of our life take all sorts of unexpected turns and it's very difficult to examine and really comprehend the entire thing. Only God knows us through and through. We are on a journey of discovering who we are, which is quite beautiful. Now we can do many things with our hands, from grasping, to cradling, to shielding, to serving. I think just a few weeks back, the washing of the feet. Our hands, in fact, tell a story that we are still writing. We can easily imagine, lastly, holding those that we love in the palms of our hands. And we can imagine being held in the palms of theirs. Over the course of Easter, as I'm sure we've noticed, we are hearing predominantly from two books, that being the Acts of the Apostles and the book of Revelation. They're two completely different books. And this isn't just the case for Sundays, actually throughout the week as well. We're going slowly through Acts. Now, we don't read the entire thing because that's not really what the church is trying to do by putting that in our minds. It's not like we're in a classroom and those two books are in the syllabus. Rather, the church wishes to guide us as one guides a group of pilgrims, slowly, slowly entering into the mystery and the mission of this time, which is Easter. I had to laugh when I looked ahead a few weeks in the lectionary, because since Easter, we've tiptoed through Acts chapter 5. This week, we come to chapter 13, then it's 14, then it's 15. What do you think would come after that? I mean, any logical person would think, yeah, it's 16. Or maybe because we don't have enough weeks, we'll skip to the end. No. We go back to chapter 1. It's the Feast of the Ascension, and so we hear of the Lord rising and the angel asking them, why are you Galileans standing here looking into the sky? Then after that, it doesn't go to chapter 2 or anywhere else you'd expect. It goes to chapter 20, and then we come to Pentecost. Um, The church is trying to guide us, and I think we'd be wise to be guided, to be docile, to take notice of these interesting movements in our liturgical journey. Young friends, 
preparing for confirmation, we're on the cusp of an important time for you because, as we said, that day is Pentecost. Have you ever heard the name that we sometimes refer to Pentecost by? We sometimes call it the birthday of the church because we say that when the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles, the church itself was born. So the church has a birthday and we celebrate it with great festivity. And the week after that, friends, you who are preparing for confirmation will receive that sacrament from the bishop. I want to say, and I really want you to hear this, we are so, so very proud of you. And we're praying for you. We've got your faces here and here to keep you in our minds and to keep you in our prayers. So journey well. But what about the rest of us on our pilgrimage here, hearing from these two books? And what about the Good Shepherd that calls us each by name? Well, I want to place one last thing in our minds if I can, and I hope that it stirs our sense of this mystery, but also our missionary zeal, because I think it's time to crank that up a few gears in these days of Eastertide. We are, in fact, all ambassadors of that mystery, and the mystery is none other than the mystery of salvation. We heard in Acts this scene of the whole region gathered to hear the apostles' message. And in Revelation, we heard of an innumerable crowd, too much to count, comprised of every kind of people. What do these images do for us here and now? Some weeks ago, we'll remember we completed those surveys for the National uh, Center for Pastoral Research. Before we get into that, let's take note of the, the numbers we're sort of looking at. Let's say Australia has a population of about 26 million, somewhere thereabouts. Uh, something like 50% of that identify with the Christian faith. If that's indicative of Gladstone, then let's say that of the 35,000 living in this region, in this parish, and that goes all the way out to Tannum, to Calliope, to Agnes, to Mount Larkham, the whole, the whole spread of the parish, let's say some 17,000 would identify somehow with Christ. And I don't necessarily mean, you know, to, to have an affinity with Christ doesn't necessitate the religious practice of Christ. Uh, likewise, just because someone claims to be a Christian, it doesn't mean they're perfectly exemplifying what relationship with Jesus looks like. We're not making those claims, but simply those numbers. The statistics from our recent surveys are interesting because we can see that only five years ago, this parish, the whole spread, had something like 700 in Sunday attendance. 700. But clearly, COVID has punctured that attendance quite radically because we are now closer to, say, 450. The ways in which we gather have changed radically over the past three years, and not just for the church, but really for the whole world. Who would have thought that live-streamed masses and Zoom prayer meetings would become a staple in the diet of a Catholic, in the, our spiritual diet? What does the future look like for us? as pilgrims, as we gather and as we mission together, as we go out to proclaim all that we hear, all that we believe? And what gear should we shift into in an era where the church certainly has lost a degree of credibility with things like scandal and has tried its best to meet the needs of the time, uh, entering into methods of dialogue and listening and gentle companionship, accompaniment, 
always with our gaze on the well-being of those most vulnerable in our communities, always having them at the center of our attention. As we hold all those questions in our minds, let's hear once again just a few of the words that we've heard from the Word himself. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and took their seats. And on the following Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the Word of the Lord. Can you imagine this? Gathering is still essential to the Christian life. That's why we're here. And our fidelity to gathering will stir others to gather. It stirs the whole world to wonder, what exactly are they going to? What are they going for? Now is the time to say to our friends, when is the last time you came to Mass? Something special is going on. Please come. Come. Uh, we'll go out and get lunch later. Fathers, shout. Don't, don't say that. Um, maybe the bishop might like to shout them. The text continues, Let us not count anyone unworthy of these words, which are the words of eternal life. Neither you, nor your friends, nor those we'd consider our enemies, because we don't really have any enemies. We only have brothers and sisters in this world. Let us go to every single soul, as the Lord has commanded, because when he says to the apostles, he says to us too, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may become an instrument of salvation to the ends of the earth. Have you ever considered yourself an instrument of salvation? That's what you are. You are an instrument of salvation. The word of the Lord continued to spread through the whole region. Some 35,000 here in, the, in our little neck of the woods. And as the text continues, the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. How wonderful it would be if our church attendance was to grow and grow and grow over these weeks of Easter with anyone, not necessarily those who are lapsed Catholics, but just anyone, even just curious onlookers who are tagging along. They come and they stand in the back and they listen and wonder what exactly we're doing here. You know how many conversions have happened from that kind of thing? Bring them. Let them come. May they be stirred. Finally, on that note, as we think of this church swelling and the, the walls needing to, you know, stretch to take them in, hear again this vision from John. I, John, had a vision of a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, race, people, and tongue. And what was this gigantic crowd doing, pray tell? They stood before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes, and holding palm branches in their hands. Sound familiar? Think back to the beginning of our Holy Week. You know what's interesting? For people of faith, it is always Easter. It is always the whole of the Easter story. We are always welcoming the Lord on his donkey into the Jerusalem that we are singing Hosanna with our palm branches. We are always gazing upon him on his cross of love. We are forever bathed in the water that flowed from his side in our own baptismal graces. And we're perpetually robed in white because the dignity that comes from that is out of this world. We are constantly singing and feasting and being made ever more fully alive. There is never a moment for us that is not, in fact, Easter. So when we invite people to this banquet... We're inviting them to Easter. We're inviting them deep into the mystery that we believe and where our life comes from. Finally, friends, 
I invite you to look one last time at your hands, carefully gathering up everything we've just said. Your hands are to be marked with all of this Christian hope, which means that your hands will gain scars, blemishes, creases, marks. They'll get dirty and worn and calloused. Your hands will, in fact, come to look more and more like the hands of our Lord. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can take them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can take them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one.